It might be considered somewhat unusual to interview your husband on your podcast, especially giving that person, your husband, the first guest spot on said podcast. But if you have listened to the first three episodes of Modern Media, you'll know that my husband, Dr. Ryan Lamp, plays a really big role in my story. And this is a podcast about putting your story out there in the modern media. So it makes sense that he's here. When I taught Ryan to present his videos more professionally, I kind of got this hint of an idea that there might be a business idea in it for me. And as you're about to hear, the thing about Ryan is that like so many service providers, he cares deeply. He's deeply passionate about helping people that he meets through his work. It's one of the reasons that I love him. To tell you a bit more about Ryan, he's a chiropractor. He's got a couple of clinics here in Perth, one in the country. He's a dad of one, my stepson, our big boy Joel, and a couple of other careers in Ryan's background that he took on before he went back to uni at Murdoch and joined the first cohort of chiropractors to graduate in WA. He's certainly someone who fits the mould of modern media performer, although this was in fact his very first podcast. Here's how creating video has transformed patient care with Dr. Ryan Lamp, my husband. In today's media landscape, options abound. From traditional platforms like TV and radio to the digital realm, social media, online publications and podcasts, just like this one. I'm Carmen Braidwood, your guide to the rapid changes in the modern media space. Whether you're a personal brand or corporate entity, staying relevant is key. Join me, a seasoned TV and radio presenter, content creator and modern media trainer as we navigate this dynamic terrain together. Let's do this. Hello, husband. Hello, baby. How are you? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> We're in podcast land. I'm here against my will. <laughs> Not really. No, no, I'm only joking. You love any opportunity to get your story out there, to talk to media these days. I do. I can't believe it's been so long. Oh, I've never done this before. This yeah, is the actually, first time. yeah, that's weird, isn't it? You've Very never weird. done a podcast. You've never invited me. Well, finally I have. I had to start my own podcast and make it happen, but here it is. Thank you. I'm a bit nervous, <laughs> but hopefully I get through. I think you'll do just fine. There's a story that I love to tell on stages and in reels that the first person who asked me to teach them to speak on camera was this chiropractor that I met uh, now about 12 years ago and he'd seen me do some stuff on TV and I think that's why you can fill in the gaps here potentially <laughs> and he said will you teach me to do that and I didn't understand back then content marketing and so I said something like well why would a chiropractor want to learn to speak on camera and then he filled in the gaps and then I like to do the big reveal to my audiences and go, I know that that content I taught him to make is still working for him because it brings patients into his clinic every single day. And I know that because he's my husband. Yes, and I've been doing it now for, I don't know, how many years it's been Yeah, a long 11 time. or 12 years. Yeah. yeah. So I remember the first time I ever did it, I think I took half a day to do two 30-second reels or whatever it was. One of them reel back then. Reels didn't exist yeah. back then, yeah. And the reason was is I just wanted to give patients information that is pertinent to them looking after themselves. So it was a video just explaining how to do a particular stretch, what to do to avoid problems with their back and their neck, 
and it's just education. Yeah, without presenting well in the camera, people just don't want to watch it, so it's boring. So I had to look the part and, yeah. So, But that first half a day of two 30-second videos, I thought <laughs> this is going to be ridiculous. It's just not viable until you came along and taught me how to do it better. In terms of a business case for making that kind of content, right? Like, you know, there'll be people out there who will be in your industry who'll probably look at those videos and go, ah, oh, Ryan, he's just out there to self-promote. Or how much time did that take? Like you just described, it took you half a day to make what was eventually like a minute's worth of content. How valuable though is it to educate your clients about what you do? I guess my industry is looking at a problem with society that's affecting 65% of the population. So it's massive. Yeah, if everyone with back pain came to see me, I'd never have a second free. It would just be so busy. So it's just little things, teaching people how to live properly, teaching people if they get sore to address it straight away and then realise what just caught made them sore, maybe you should do it a different way. So it's just simple things like that that seem common sense, but getting out and doing a video, it just gives them that a lot more information. They can help themselves. And I think back pain is something that people can avoid if they knew what to do. And that's all I'm doing is making videos. So, and the, the funny thing is over the years, there's so many like kids have come in and, oh, you're from the TV. Aww. And it's been, <laughs> and it's like, I'm looking going, oh, actually, oh no, it's all those reels I've done, all those information videos and stuff like that, that pop up in people's feeds. And I guess when people come to see me quite often, they, they know me already, which is a great thing. Sometimes I've never actually physically seen them, but they, as they walk into my clinic, they already know what I'm about, who I am, because I'm just me on the camera and I'm just giving out information to help people. And that's what I love doing. And if you had to build that rapport in the treatment room that you've managed to create on video, it'd take like years. Yeah, definitely. And the one thing with my clinic, I see X amount of patients per week. And so to get out there and help more and more people, you need to be in some sort of, yeah, like being on, on these sort of social media videos that grabs them and gives them information, helps them. It just means that my reach is so much bigger and I can help more people. And that's, yeah, that's why I do what I do. And it's not about you, is it? No, no, it's definitely not about me. Is that a hard question to answer? No, I, it's weird because I don't ever think about that. All I think about is that Dave down the road, if he used his legs instead of his back to lift something, he'd be a lot better off. Hmm. And if Dave gets that message and it helps, then that's fine. Now, Dave might do that one day and it locks up and then he needs me. But most of the time he can actually manage it himself. So, yeah, I don't want to be famous or anything like that. I just want to give out. And I know every week in my clinic I get this tingly feeling down my spine when a patient comes in and goes, oh, my God, Ryan, I've slept so much better and I'm waking up with all this energy and my back pains, oh, I forgot all about why I came here and all this sort of stuff. And it just gives you that feeling of, wow, I'm making a difference. And that's that's why I do what I do. Yeah. And I don't think you're alone there. Like I meet so many business people. They're doing that thing because they're deeply passionate about the people that they can help. And obviously that's something I really liked about you when we met, you know, mm. is that you really do seem to care about the outcomes for your patients. And I now know three years into my entrepreneurial journey that you can't last in business unless you have a very genuine sense of concern for the people you work with. Otherwise, you run out of steam. 
I say to this to patients all the time, it's like I've been doing this for over 20 years and I still love going to work, which is for a lot of people, they can't understand it. It's like, oh, I've been doing my job for 20 years and I, I've, I'm ready to change or 10 years or whatever it might be. But in my office, I love what I do, but now I can actually make a bigger impact in society. And that's what you've been able to teach me. And it's not a big effort now. It takes me 30 seconds to do a 30 second video. I love hearing that. And I say that even in, in less direct terms and say it should only really take you 60 seconds if you count the picking up of the phone and queuing it up or maybe asking someone to connect a microphone and film you. The whole process doesn't need to take that long once you've actually learned how to do it. And I think there's a big mental battle for a lot of people between, you know, will people think it's all about me? That thing does come up a lot. And also, why does anyone want to hear from me? Who cares about the value that I bring? Did you ever feel like you didn't have value to offer? Not really. I guess because of my industry, I remember when I or first- Or is it because you're a man? No, just well, no, nothing to do with that. But when <laughs> I first graduated, I could not believe that people were bending over, pulling up things with their back and going, oh, my back's sore. I thought, how can't they know? But it, what happened is that I've done five years at university. I've studied the body in detail, the biomechanical aspects of it, how it fails, how you should use it. And for me, it's common sense because I've studied it. But for other people, it's they need to learn it. Mm. And so that's what I'm doing. And to be able to do these videos has been, has been amazing. That's the first time anyone's actually asked me, is this about you? I've never, ever crossed my mind. It's all just about giving to, back to my community or whatever to help people. Oh, I so. wish I could bottle that. There are just so many people I've worked with who think that by putting a video out there that they've made that educates or provides service or gives value to their audience, that they're going to get pot shots from other people. And do you know what? Maybe it is just a sign we need to think about how we judge other people. Like if you look through your feed and see people from your industry and go, well, you know, he's a flog, she's an idiot. How dare they put themselves out there like that? Maybe you need to examine how you judge other people. Maybe that's, I don't know. I've, I've been wrestling with this for ages. What do you think it is? Yeah. In my industry, I've had a lot of my colleagues actually say, oh, what you do is really great. Mm. And so that's always good. I see other chiropractors putting videos out there and stuff like that. And it's great because at the end of the day, what we do, unfortunately, we're a very small industry. And when I first started, I think we saw 1.7% of the population. I think it's now about 3% of the population. So whatever we do as chiropractors to expand and educate people on what we do to help is great. So I wish all of the chiropractors out there were doing videos to actually spread the amount of study that we've done five years at university, 20 years in practice, the evidence for manipulation for back pain, neck pain and headache and all that sort of stuff. Is It's about, I'm trying to do as much as I can to educate people and yeah, my profession is doing everything it can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the video thing it's become easy. So it's not a difficult thing, doesn't take much time and the reward is great. Let's talk more about your story. Why did you get into chiropractic? Many years ago, I was a 12, 13 year old. I used to, I fell off the trampoline. I used to jump on my BMX and we'd had crashes and so forth. I ended up with juvenile migraines, probably a 12 year old. And so I started getting headaches that were so bad that I'd be lying in bed with two pillows over my head and if mum unlocked the door and the light came in, I, my eyes would burn with this photophobia and nausea and all this sort of stuff. So one day after all this research, mum had been taking me to the hospital and I think it was mainly medications I was having. I end up with mum's friend coming over saying, oh, 
what's going on with Ryan, Hayes getting these migraines, and then she recommended her chiropractor. So the next thing, I'm at the chiropractor. He's talking to mum, don't know what he's talking about. He sits me in the chair and then cracks my neck. <laughs> and at the time, I thought, oh, my God, what's he done? Take my head clean off. <laughs> it was pretty, I still remember it to this day, but within about eight to ten seconds, the migraine just lifted and disappeared. It was, like, amazing. And I thought, wow, that's unbelievable what he's done. Years down the track, I've left school, done a few things, and then I thought, I want to be in this position to help people. And I've then ended up starting to go into Murdoch University as the first school in WA. And I started the chiropractic degree over the five years and completed it. And when I started, I had these, like, in my mind, it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to be able to help people. I'm going to be able to do this, 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 and this. And as I went through the five years, my, the potential of what I could do actually got bigger and bigger and bigger. And mm. I started enjoying it more and more and more. And then ironically, when I graduated, my first boss was that chiropractor that fixed me when I was 12. We better give Posture Park a bit oh, of a yeah. plug. Tell me about that. So I have been treating so many chefs and kitchen hands and people in hospitality. And one thing about them is that they're always leaning over a bench and underneath the bench normally is a fridge. So unfortunately, biomechanically, when they lean forward, they're putting so much pressure on their spine. So I've been thinking for so long, how can I get that pressure off their spine and into their legs mm. with what they've got available in front of you? can't really change anything. So I started thinking, well, if you raise one leg, what you end up doing is dropping the center of gravity from your spine into your legs. So there's a lot of research talking about a standing footrest. And back in the saloon bar days, there was what was called- Do a, you remember those? Because you're so much older than yes, me. Yes, yes. Yeah. When I had my white horse- and they used to ride into town, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So what happened is that people would go up to a bar and there was a little rail that you put your foot on and that was called the comfort rail, which helped people put pressure in their legs so they could stand at the bar for longer and obviously and drink for longer, drinks. a bit more, bit more comfortable. So anyway, I've come up with a, a footrest that people can use. So I went to Bunnings one day with Joel and we've... Joel's Ryan's son, my stepson. Yep. So we're yeah. sitting down there. I think, oh gosh, I've been telling patients, just grab something, put their feet on it, raise this, do this, do this. And over years, no one's done it. So I thought, I'm going to make something. I'm going to give it to people and that's going to help. So anyway, I made 60 of these things in the shed out our house and uh, started handing them out to people. That people come back, wow, that's amazing. Like As soon mm. as I put my foot on that footrest, I feel the pressure in my legs and it's not in my back anymore. And I'm able to lean over and do this and do this and Anyway, seven months later, I get this guy who I now play tennis with and uh, he's a industrial designer and he goes, takes it home one day, comes back the next day, goes, wow, this is amazing, Ryan. It works. I said, yeah, well, that's why I gave it to you. He goes, no, no, it really works. <laughs> but that's what's funny about this mm. story is that the simplicity makes people go, I can't believe it. It yeah. actually works yeah. every time. Yeah. So his wife is a architect. They're looking at it going, wow, this is, it's so simple, but it actually changes the way we stand up. You mm. can feel pressure not in your back anymore, it's in your legs. So what's happened then is he and I sat down and he goes, oh, look, I've got some ideas. I reckon you can't sell this because it's so replicable mm -hmm. and it doesn't really do exactly what you need, blah, blah, blah. So he and I went on this journey together and we went through about 20 different prototypes. Now it's become this product now called the Posture Puck and it's just simply a standing footrest. It's brightly colored, so it reminds people to use it. And we're selling them out of the clinic and then we're trying to work with um, different businesses to buy them for their staff. There's been quite a few people 
bosses that have bought them for their staff. I've, because it's starting out, I've gone to deliver them and sort of w- talk to the people in the office and show them how to use it. Now, one of the things that I've come up with is that because sometimes you might get sore, then I've got an online presence where they can just mm. go and log in and go, hey, my neck's sore. Oh, there's this simple stretch. I can do that. That'll help relieve. Mm. Back sore, do this. And so now I'm just still working on trying to get those two things keyed together. But the product is, again, trying to get bigger than what I can do in my clinic to help people. And it's an educational tool as well as a tool mm. to actually biomechanically use your body properly. So when you're standing up, whether it be at doing the kitchen, cooking or... But the posture park now is at quite a lot of cafes, mm. baristas are using it, kitchen staff are using it, lots of office people. And it just reminds people, and if they're sore, you put your foot on it, everyone tells me, oh my gosh, it's disappeared. Where's that pain going? And so well, what it's done is it's gone to that massive muscle between your knee and your hip, and that's what's loaded now. It's not your spine. And your spine's made up of 98 little joints, and they don't last very long. You end up compressing them, they squash together, when they have no fluid or they start getting friction, that's the pain that you feel mm-hmm. and that's what it is. So Yeah. So, so we're we're not designed to sit in that one position hunched over, bent in half, the way no. we are sitting in a chair like you and I are right now. Mm. We're designed to be upright and moving around. So the park gives you that chance to move around. And of course, I'm totally across all this. You did a great job of explaining it. Well done. And it's a really good story of how, you know, your industry has taught you that there's an opportunity. You've gone through the whole process of taking it through the market. You did the Curtain Ignition Program, which I know a lot of listeners to this podcast will have done, and that's really helped with the contacts you've made to help build it out into a product that you're now manufacturing here in Western Australia. Look, I don't know how much of the last half hour we used up by me taking the P155 out of you from time to time, Ryan, but we've certainly been able to share your story and why you are what I like to call the original confidence on camera client. And in so many ways, and I mean this honestly, been the inspiration for me being able to free myself from the shackles of full-time work. (laughs) Not just because, you know, you're a great provider, but also because, of course, I've been able to provide for myself and contribute. So thank you for that. Yeah, been good. (laughs) What else do you love about being married to me? Can we have to talk about this on air? Yeah, yeah, go on. I can force an answer out of you. If I said this on the couch, I'd be like, hello, stop scrolling your phone. Tell me what you love about me. Well, I remember when that phone call I got and you said 96FM have sacked me. And I went, oh, my God, I was in shock for about a week. You were, weren't you? I'm thinking, okay, now what's she going to do? And then all of a sudden I came home that day, I reckon, she had 17 different job opportunities and just never looked back. And you've looked at all of these opportunities and you realize that wasn't working, that wasn't working, that wasn't working. And you just kept going at it. You didn't stop. And it was like, yeah, and you just kept the tenacity of just, yeah, keeping it going. And that's what I love about you is that you never just, yeah, there was no time to cry or mm. or whatever. It was just keep going. And you've always done that. Everything you do, mm. yeah, there's never been this whole, oh, I've been sacked, I've been this, I've been that. You've always gone out and found your opportunity, major opportunity. And yeah, the feedback I get from just walking past and you're in the room and people come up to me and tell me how lovely you are and how much you've inspired them and all that sort of stuff. 
so not in front of you a lot of the time. It's always, <laughs> yeah, oh, she's amazing. And I said, yeah, I know. That's why we're married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's good. Thank you. I feel a bit embarrassed now. Mm-hmm. I might cry. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes think that that can be a toxic trait to just keep on working and working and not taking the time to take stock. But, you know, we hinted at that. We have taken time to take stock. And, you know, there was the awful time with my bad health situation where I didn't take enough time. Yeah. But I think that you'd learn a lot about yourself, don't you, when things get tough? Yeah, that was a definitely a tough time. Yeah, that time you were in a coma and, uh, yeah, just telling that everything's going to be okay when I knew the doctors had said, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, for you to come out the other end and then, um, yeah, because you'd been out for quite a while, when you said some things that I was going, oh, my gosh, she's gone crazy. Well, the Addison's causes confusion, doesn't it? Yeah, well, being in a coma and, yeah, what happened at that time was that you were coming out of it, so your brain hadn't really recovered fully. Mm -hmm. It was quite funny when there was a person in ICU across from us and you said, oh, they're making a radio show. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, she's gone weird. (laughs) It was like being in a dream that time. And I even accused the nurse when I woke up of, well, not accused the nurse, but I just said, oh, I'm dreaming. You know, like when you're in a dream and you call out a dream? Something weird yeah, happens. Yeah. You go, oh, this is a dream. Yeah. Thank God. That's so weird. This is a dream. And I vividly remember going, oh, I'm dreaming. And she goes, no, you're not dreaming. You're in Royal Perth ICU. And then I was worried that you and I had been in a car accident. I asked if Joel was okay. Yeah. And I said, everyone's fine. But um, yeah, like it was, I think there was like a lag time because I came out of that and I didn't realize how bad it had been. I just thought that I'd had like a bit of a sleep and then I came out of it and I just kept going. I did a spot on the pulse on channel nine the week that I came home from hospital. Yeah. You know, crazy things like that, going in to see the makeup and saying, can you cover up my black eye and this big bruise on my face? Cause I'd had a seizure and fell and yeah, you know, so there's so many strange things that I did that in keeping with that personality type of mine where I just keep going, you know, that maybe weren't, that yeah, well yeah. advised. Well, at I didn't the time. know if I was meant to say you shouldn't do that or not. Well, that's it's a weird thing, isn't it? I guess you know, uh, you just described how capable you view me to be, mm. but I guess there was some time there I was probably vulnerable. But I'm pretty lucky that the people that I've always worked with also really have protected and come around me, and I really felt like. I could go into that makeup room and they were all friends. And I just said, oh, look, if I'm entirely honest, yeah, I was in hospital. But, you know, I just got on with it. And for you, I remember you still coming to terms with everything that happened. And then maybe a year or two later, it all hit me. And so there was that time when I finished at 6PR, I was doing a weekend show and that sort of came to an end. And I remember kind of then going, oh, I can take a bit of a breath now and just assess things. And I was probably when I went, oh, I need a beat. I've got to figure out where I fit and what I want to do and find things that actually, you know, are really good and that give me that tingly spine feeling again. Because, yep. yeah, like, you know, for me, it's always been something like this, something, you know, just storytelling and making content and being that media performer. And it, you need to actually have everything else right to be able to go out there and do that. I'm not saying delay. I'm not saying hold back, but you've got to actually look after yourself from time to time. Yeah. Right. My first podcast, how did I do? I think you did really well. You were able to cope with a few tricky questions yep. and uh, responded in kind and stepped up the energy when required. And yeah, 
Dr. Ryan Lamp, my husband, thank you for being on Modern Media. Thank you for having me, Carmen Braidwood, my wife. <laughs> Love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Next time on Modern Media, strategies for success with property profiler and real estate industry leader, Ashley Goodchild. The feedback is things like clients emailing me saying, thank you so much for your education on YouTube. And it all comes back to the video. That's coming up on Modern Media. Thanks for being here. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Carmen Braidwood, your guide to navigating the ever-changing world of media. Dive deeper into today's topics. You can check out the show notes. Or for more details about modern media training, head to carmenbraidwood.com.au. Until next time, keep on shining in the modern media landscape.